for many people who are part of this discussion uh, this morning and part of the, the conference, people have been uh, leading their school communities through really challenging times and people are pretty tired. I think even uh, for those who've been had, had two weeks off, there's still a sense of, uh, of, of being drained and that's because uh, school leaders have been described a number of times through the, the, the period that we've been through as being uh, often the mayors of their communities, of being the ones who have, have had to support not only the staff but students, families and communities. And, uh, and so this, this morning feels a bit like a sanctuary, a, uh, a safe place where people can come and not have to give, not be the ones who uh, pe others look to for the answers, but we get the chance to sit back and, and, uh, and listen to the, the wisdom, the experience, the reflections, the thoughts of others, and, uh, and, and maybe there's nothing that is actually more refreshing than that and probably no one better place to, uh, to play that role than Michael Fuller and Michael Welcome back. Uh, welcome back to Australia. Welcome back to Melbourne. Um, uh, you're someone who is both a friend and a colleague to so many uh, around this room. We've been pleased to work with you over many years in Victoria, but, uh, but you're a friend and a colleague and a mentor to people right across Australia. And so no one better to help us join together in a conversation. Michael, of course, is a Professor Emeritus at the University of Toronto, uh, but best known probably for his work around new pedagogies for deep learning that's become part, such an embedded part of the discourse in education uh, across Australia. So, Michael, thank you for uh, joining us. We really look forward to being able to sit back uh, and enjoy listening and then and then actively engaging with with your reflections of, uh, of where we are at this moment in time. So, Michael. Uh, thank you, David. It's, uh, and good morning, everyone. It's great to be uh, almost back in Australia uh, many people on the panel and yourself, David, we, as you said, have worked closely together. All of our work is kind of coming from practice, but it's getting more ambitious. It's more towards uh, whole system change. And so that's what I want to talk about in the next 25 minutes. Uh, you know, I call it the moonshot opportunity. A, a moonshot is a decade or a chunk of a decade, a large chunk of a decade, where something uh, could uh, of a breakthrough nature could happen that would benefit humanity as a whole. So this is ambitious, but as I said, it's also grounded, and that's going to be the uh, what, I'm, what, what we'd be working on. I also went, I, I, I was lining up some uh, quotes that I wanted, and I found myself, in just a retrospect when I looked at it, uh, to start with three uh, old timers a long time ago, 1865 or so, and all three of them, it turned out, were born within the same uh, 10 years uh, in that period. So one of them is... Uh, uh, Emil Durkheim is a sociologist, I'm a sociologist, and he, a long time ago, when he was trying to establish sociology as a field, he said that the, the system is sui generis, was the word he used, and sui generis, the Latin word, means it kind of stands alone, independent. He was making the point that the system is independent of individuals, because uh, although we all are part of the system, you can't get your hands on it. And uh, Peter Senge, who's also a colleague, you will know him from his system work, uh, said uh, recently, he said, it's a, it, what's interesting is we've got a system that the majority of people don't want. So that's one starting point. And that's, uh, I think that's true. And it says, uh, so it's detached, detached from that. Uh, a second one is, uh, I went to uh, the second coming uh, poem by W.B. Yeats. You see, uh, 
when he wrote that, it was about 100 years ago. Uh, it published in uh, 1920. And so in that, uh, he starts, and you see the first part of it, it's a, actually quite a brief poem, but a powerful one. Uh, Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. It sounds like contemporary, uh, contemporary times. And he was talking about the second coming. He was talking about uh, because of uh, the end of the First World War, and he was, I guess I'll say, reading the tea leaves or had a sense that something bad was going to happen. We had the Roaring Twenties, and then we had the Second World War. So he was really uh, uh, commenting on the on uh, on something was in the air. And I'm going to say now, in 2020, 100 years later, something is in the air. Something is a bit weird. He's famous for this on the top half of this slide for uh, observing that the best lack all conviction in the period that he was talking about, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And now what I want to um, uh, turn that around and say, is this the breakthrough decade? Is this where actually we can reverse that and see that the best are full of passionate intensity uh, while uh, well, the worst uh, lack conviction, we hope that might be the shift in power. And you'll hear me conclude that we put our major emphasis, although it's surrounded with support, on youth being the learned, uh, learned change agents uh, of, uh, of the breakthrough I'm going to be talking about in real terms. So uh, this will be interesting. We'll come to that. I'm also going to suggest to you a word that captures the decade we've had. We're in our third decade now. So the first two decades will have a word that I want to uh, refer to to summarize that. And it's not a, uh, the word is not something that is what should have happened. It tries to capture what, uh, what, what it did happen. And the third one is more speculative because we're just at the beginning of that. And the other of these uh, old timers, so to speak, I feel like I'm in the old timer club now anyways, are the Wright brothers uh, that, uh, they were, uh, uh, in 1903, uh, it was only 66 years, uh, it's quite amazing to think of it this way, between their first flight on December 17th, 1903, and, the, uh, and landing on the moon. Uh, that's an incredibly short period of time. So what's the, the, the setup now? We, have, uh, we think uh, in our work pretty clearly that the future is really up for grabs. It's not going to be... Uh, just going forward in some uh, neutral way is going to get really bad or better. And this is the moment I'm talking about. The moonshot moment is, will it be, be better or will it be bad? It won't be neutral. So I call it the battle of the decade. I'm going to give you at the end of uh, this in the last minute, the three words that I think uh, uh, concepts that capture these three decades. So do stay, uh, stay alert. To that. Think of that word, single word, although the last one, because it hasn't happened, I'm going to give you a, 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 a two words that could go either way, the good word and the bad word. So this is what, uh, what the situation is in a nutshell. Uh, we know traditional schooling is boring. We have all the data on that. Uh, that's very clear. Somehow the system uh, got along and missed the students uh, in the last uh, while. And it's been like that for, for a while. There's only about 30% of the students that are really engaged in learning. And even those sometimes are called the wounded winners. Inequity is galloping. It's becoming worse and worse. I'm talking about uh, uh, the, uh, the financial as well as the life experiences. The world is troubled you know, uh, so that the, uh, the, the second one, inequity, leads to low social trust. The troubled world leads to danger, and we see it virtually every day. 
So uh, this is the equation, those first three parts. And the question is what's going to uh, rise to the occasion. Uh, the main reasons that system equity has not progressed, I'm not gonna read these slides, you'll have them, I've sent them over. Uh, there's really a mismatch uh, between the way that school is evolving and what's needed for, uh, for student interest, student development. And uh, lots of people in this conference will have said this. The question is, what can we do about it? Uh, it's a, uh, uh, my colleagues, uh, Jao Mehta and his uh, at Harvard, when they studied deep learning, they said, schools are not organized in a way that matches how youth learn, that they want opportunities to work that has purpose and meaning. You know all of these things. They want an opportunity to, to influence the world, is which I'm going to get to in a few minutes. So there's a, as a result of the pandemic, or within the pandemic, there's a widespread call for innovation. We and others have studied this. I, uh, we just did a book on eight districts in the U.S., as turned out for this focus book. And almost all of, the, all of the people in it said, we're not going back to the old way. Whether they will be able to do something about that, it's harder to think of the new way than it is to criticize the old way. So the question is, what does innovation look like? Uh, here's the last decade. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna give you the three words. And I'm thinking of Pam because I know uh, uh, Pam Betts on the, uh, we, we worked for eight of these years together at BCE during the last decade. So I know Pam won't take it personally because we did, she did a lot of good things that moved that system forward. But the overall system I'm gonna say was, uh, was really stalled. If anything, it went backwards. I'm talking about the country now, Australia, the country, England, the country, US, Canada, with the lots of parts of, of all of these. What's needed, and I want to here focus ourselves on the immediate future, what's needed are um, a set of four, I'm going to call them new things that fit together, that are powerfully deep and powerfully feed on each other. And clearly, I can only introduce them here. We need a new purpose for public education, for any education, for learning uh, that uh, is about well-being and learning. We need new pedagogies that uh, David referred to, our deep learning pedagogies. We need new cultures, the cultures that are within schools, across schools, uh, in a, across systems. And we need metrics of assessment. This is actually a common list now that's come forward in the last uh, six months or so. But the question is, will that list result in powerful interaction among those four things? Systemness, and, uh, and I, I really have to say that I think, I think the notion of system is a bit tricky. Uh, I don't think of the system as people at the top. Uh, so I think of the system, and back to Durkheim, uh, there, it's, a bit, uh, it, it's a bit independent of individuals. It's a bit abstract from that. But I pay equal attention to local part of the system, to the regional part, to the, to the state part, to the federal, all of those. If anything, the energy is re, uh, inversely related to, uh, to the hierarchy. That is, there's more energy at the bottom potentially than there is at the top, I'm going to claim. So uh, I did in, for CSE, the Canadian, or the, uh, sorry, BAM in Canada, but the uh, Center for Strategic Education, uh, the Right Drivers paper that we published in February, and uh, with, uh, and in this, I said, there's a what's what, what's taken over in the last uh, 20 years or 40 years, really, is what I call the bloodless paradigm, a narrow obsession with academics, machine intelligence that's really not good necessarily in all all kinds of ways, but has a life of its own, austerity where the way that uh, that uh, the finances have, have been the, and the uh, benefits of progress have been maldistributed. 
and fragmentation, which we've had for a long time. And I juxtapose that to the well-being learning as uh, uh, the social intelligence that comes from our strategies and you know, some of yours, equality investments on things that needed to be developed and back to our uh, troubled word here of systemness, bringing this together. Uh, these are not throwing out the wrong drivers, but I am going to say that what we need is a rise of the four right drivers, the human paradigm, and we need on a large scale, and we need the dampening of the wrong drivers so they're not so, so prominent. This is not a blueprint. Uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is a treasure map more than a blueprint. And I know some people are now work using the drivers, not as, uh, let's implement one, two, three, four, but let's lose it, use it as a template to figure out how are we doing? Because a lot of people are trying to move in this direction. I wanna give them a more systemic map, a more a, a different way to be able to move into this. So just brief comments on this. Well-being and learning, uh, we have a, a neurologist or a child psychiatrist on our core team. Uh, we're, we're highlighting well-being and learning as most people are. And I love this quote by Chris Emden. He says, poverty robs people of imagination. Good pedagogy replenishes it. Opportunities for equity are everywhere. And so this is, they're everywhere in the pedagogy, in the learning, in the, in the development. And we'll come back to the decades uh, right near the end. Uh, social intelligence, which really is a focused collaboration. We've spent a lot of time on collaboration. Uh, our, my new way of thinking about it is connected autonomy, uh, which is like collaborative professionalism or like collective efficacy, except it, it, has, it features the integration of autonomy and connection. We're actually, uh, Brendan Spillane and myself, Brendan who's worked with PEM, uh, are working in CIWA and, and WA on, uh, with the Catholic system on, uh, on trying to establish connected autonomy for that 160 schools, big system. And then uh, quality investments. Uh, this is about quality investments means investing in capacity, like early learning is a prime example, that pay off in the midterm, not in the short term, but also not in the long, long term. They pay off quite, quite soon. So it's capacity building for system change. And, uh, and this is and what we've had instead is austerity uh, except the rich have not have not uh, have gained from this, uh, and, uh, and everybody else has suffered in a lot of different ways. Uh, systemness and fragmentation. Uh, I guess the simple way to put it, the powerful way to pull it, uh, put it, is that uh, humans are going to have to find each other, and I mean in a big scale. We've had our own attempt to carve it out. We have a lot of uh, schools on the move, and uh, we don't work with individual schools so much as clusters. And as I said in 12 countries, they are leading it. This is a partnership where they're co-developing it. And our own sub-model that some of you will know, but I just want to point to it so you can uh, look into it. Uh, our basic book is called Engage the World, Change the World, a deep learning book. We have the six Cs. Uh, they're not just superficial. They all go, they're all measurable. They've got specific things. Pedagogy goes with them, these four elements of pedagogy to make them come alive. This is changing the relationship between students and, uh, and learning. And then the, the model, if you put it all together, it's not that complicated given that it's deep and it covers the whole system, but it is, uh, it is the purpose. That's the foundation you see there. It is the six C's. It's using deep pedagogy for the purposes of equity. Uh, uh, investments in equity don't pay off if you don't change the pedagogical relationship between uh, teachers and students and among students and students in the environment. 
we have lots of videos that show what that looks like. And then that third circle, you get the, uh, the conditions under which these things uh, begin to uh, uh, need to be supported. I'd say the conditions, the school conditions are sometimes there. There are a lot of individual schools in the three sectors in Australia that are exemplars of this work. They're still the minority, but we see many more examples there and they're not caused by policy causing them. They're caused because they were impatient with a bad system and they went ahead anyways. So we have a lot of their, that, but they're still in the minority, still much in the minority. The system hasn't changed. And so I think the school conditions, then the district, we call it, but you could call it the uh, region. Uh, those are sometimes good in your case, but the system conditions really uh, are not, have, have not yet clicked in. I'm going to say that as a, as a problem. Uh, I wrote a book two years ago called Nuance, Why Some Leaders Succeed and Others Fail. Uh, the, the, the definition of nuance is that these leaders who are successful, and the book was based on actual cases by name, uh, is that they were successful because these uh, leaders got beneath the surface. They got what we call now contextual literacy. And so when I, when I think of the micro elements of Moonshot, I think of the proliferation of contextual literacy. This is learners, leaders especially, who understand every time that the context changes or that they change into a new context, they become de-skilled. So they have to be learners. They have to be apprentices, we call it. They have to be also experts in, the, in both of these. And this is our, our, our current powerful conclusion. Uh, the second one here, bring youth culture to the fore as change makers engage in deep learning work. I mean that as the most powerful strategy that I'll end with. So the Moonshot macro capabilities, uh, one of the uh, women in the economist who really did a great job analyzing uh, the austerity problem for the last 40 years, and then now wrote a second book called the Moonshot, uh, or the Mission Economy, I should say. And the Mission Economy, she said, we have to change it, not just give uh, you know, justice-related statements about it, but actual change. And she talked about a dynamic uh, leadership model that they have these five elements. You can see them. They will be, they'll resonate with you, I'm sure. Leadership and engagement. Uh, this means engagement at all levels or all leaders need to be engaged, uh, be people who are great at engaging those that surround them. Uh, coordination, so we can de-silo, have more that. Administration, which uh, demonstrates basic competence. We underestimate day-to-day -day competence that's really it makes a big difference. We've seen this in, uh, in the pandemic. Those leaders who actually are incompetent uh, at handling the pandemic uh, stand out so clearly in the countries that where the rates are most high. Just basic competence of getting people vaccinated and dealing with the politics as well as the practicality of that. Risk-taking and experiment experimentation, you need to innovate because you're creating the solutions jointly uh, with the problem. And dynamic evaluation is what it says. You have to learn from it and pull out the, uh, the, the lessons from it. So the immediate advice is uh, enlarge your scope of work to include as many entities as possible. I'm going to call that the mini system. <coughs> Excuse me. Whatever your mini system is, make it larger than it is. It can't be just you or one school. It's got to be bigger than that. Seek to underst uh, understand and connect with other mini systems within your uh, state. Uh, across states, across sectors, uh, that interaction is always the, the the portal to system change. Remember that you are the system. Uh, you are the system. The system isn't something else. And uh, and it took. Is it going to? Is it, are we going to do it in a decade? Are we going to get somewhere? 
there's a chance, and I think I don't even think it's a 50-50 chance. It's probably a little bit less than that because of the powerful negative forces. But there is a definite chance if we change the impetus that causes this, that we will be able to bring these changes about. And uh, this is what um, uh, what I'm uh, going to conclude with these two slides. Uh, in the 1920s, I mentioned the lost cause decade that we were trying to get better at a bad game. And that's the way to put it. Uh, but now the 20s, when I'm advocating is changing the game, the moonshot time for this. And I'll be very interested in the panel and into Mary Jean, who uh, she and I are working with. Mary Jean and I are working in, in different situations, including in California right now, which is massive opportunity to change with huge problems. And then finally, uh, the word of the decade. This is what I wanted to tease you with, I guess. Uh, I hope you've been thinking of the word, but if we take the first decade uh, uh, of the 2000 to 2010, my word, remember the word is something that was uh, 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 something that was not what was supposed to happen, but kind of characterized what did happen in good system change. And my choice for the first decade was capacity building. We really got going in capacity building. Greater instruction on the part of... Uh, of uh, teachers, uh, uh, school principals who uh, who led change and were learners as well, the Vivian Robinson work, and and, uh, and uh, all of the capacity building we did in Ontario to increase the capacity of region, the districts, and what you did, I'm because I'm familiar with it in Victoria, a great support from the government, great uh, at, uh, developments at the school level. So we did a lot of capacity building, and it was going. I don't think it would have carried the day, but at least it was a down payment for system change. But something happened in this decade, that middle decade that I referred to, the 10 to 20. Uh, I don't. I, I, I lived it, obviously. We were trying to still do capacity building. I don't mean that, that nothing happened that was good, because some good things happened. BCE, I mentioned. Uh, uh, Siwa that I happen to be connected with. Uh, Victoria and several others. But what, what the, the system didn't click. It didn't really zero in on equity, equity that was that was actually going to move anywhere. It, di it did, at the end of the day, most, uh, the most progress was getting better at a bad game. And now we finally go to the, uh, the decade we're in. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, uh, the up for, gab, uh, uh, up for grabs, remember that? Uh, will it be denouement, like the end of humankind or the, or the disaster? And that's where it's heading. Or will it be the flourishing, the part that we're deep uh, learning, uh, investing in, but now looking to see, will there be system change? And our single best bet, finally, and I want to conclude with this, our single best bet is to bring youth culture to the fore to foster learner-centered change makers. We haven't found a student young enough who doesn't want to do this. This is an uh, uh, incredible opportunity. We're talking about, uh, not, we're not talking about voice and agency. We're talking about enactment, enactment by young people as, as, as lead partners in causing the change. If you say, and I'll close with this, if we say to young people, do you think it's fair for, to expect you as young people to save the world? They say, well, most of them say that I ask, uh, well, it's not fair, but we're going to do it anyways. We need to do it anyways. And that's where our future lies, to latch onto that and to mobilize it and have it bottom up to system change that we can really embrace and develop.